Hello and welcome to NBL Nation, a special podcast edition only. As the structure of the NBL semi-finals threw us into a bit of chaos, we couldn't get a, a live show out on Tuesday night, unfortunately. Nick Lakovich joins me. Hello, Nick. Evening, Matt. The Perth Wildcats book an unprecedented 13th grand final appearance. Phenomenal record. Incredible performance by the Wildcats. When we think about the evenness of the competition, the adversity that this club has faced through the course of it, through the course of the entire season, some at their own fault and some that they couldn't avoid. But once again, to be standing atop almost of the mountain uh, with one small hurdle ahead of them, it's all in front of them and they are looking primed. They await the winner of the Illawarra Hawks who travel to Adelaide tonight and the Wildcats will learn their fate. The best of five grand final, that is the best thing that the, the league has done in a long time is bringing that format back. Have a look at the WNBL just quickly and the links on the other side of the coin drop two crucial games and fall to third. Yeah, critical weekend. It could have been a completely different outcome for them in terms of positioning, home court advantage. Unfortunately, they dropped critical games and one in particular against Dandenong, who they're coming up against now, lost to them 22 points away on the road. And that's three out of the four games they've played Dandenong where it hasn't been a favourable result. So in the space of a week, they played Dandenong twice in Victoria. Uh, we're going to chat with Tony Edmondson, the tall fern, 200 game plus veteran of the WNBL. We look forward to grilling her because there's a few things that the Lynx need to address, but we'll get to that later. Mark Worthington's career comes to a close, fittingly in WA, but not the way or the script that he would have want written for him, but what a champion of the NBL. What a great ambassador for the game over the course of his career. He's had success, he's had some highs and lows, uh, and to go out in Perth the way that he did, uh, his family were there, I spent time talking to them after the game, and great tribute by the Perth Wildcats, showing their respect for a true competitor. Let's have a look at Cairns, and you take a, a look in retrospect of their season, and you're involved in the organisation. Are you pleased with how the season went? For me, it was an upset that they made the top four. Let's put it in perspective. They didn't have a winning record until the last round, 19 rounds, so 18 rounds effectively, either at a 50% win record or below, and still squeak in. Now, we know that's a credit to how even the competition is, but if you have a look on the large grand scheme of the season... Was it a successful year for the Taipans? Yeah, that's a really good point, Matt, and a great question. Uh, at the end, over time, people will look back at the 2016-17 season, and when they look at the history records, they'll see that they finished in the top four, they'll see that they played off in a semi-final, but snuck in mm. just at the in the last round, as mm. you mentioned. How are they going to measure this season? I think there's going to be a real air of disappointment around it there's definitely some things having spoken to some of the people at the club after the game uh, family players etc where they sh they felt they could have made some different decisions earlier uh, we're talking about the replacement of an import the addition of Travis Trice and allowing him they feel probably too much time he came off the bench and he didn't start for about the first three four weeks of this season and he came from a pedigree of a school like Michigan State where there's high expectations. He knows how to play. He's a mm. flat-out baller. You know, are there some questions over the style of play? Certainly is. The team's playing against him. Understand that they are well-coached and well-drilled to some degree, but the freedom of play yep. wasn't there. Is this guys. a fair assessment then that the Taipans were one of the rare clubs in the NBL that didn't adapt their game style at any stage of the season? 
And Fern stuck with that game plan, that wing-to-wing action, taking the air out of the ball, getting good looks. Some players, particularly in game one, Trice looked like a deer in headlights, like he was hesitant, not from being in awe of the situation. Like you said, he played at a big school, but maybe out of fear of not knocking down a jump shot in game one. And then you saw a different mindset from him in game two. Now, if you look at the Perth Wildcats, and we've harped on a lot about the season, about their offense and with the flex in particular, and now there's some new wrinkles. They've adapted their offense, changed up their personnel, obviously, with Cotton. It just seems as though Cairns didn't do that. Oh, it's, it's obvious. They haven't adapted their offense anymore. They've made wholesale changes. Mm. And y- you could count on one hand the amount of possessions that the Wildcats ran out of flex action to start with. Not many, if any, at all. Mm. And to their credit, they've understood where their strengths now lie and who needs to have the ball in their hands and who need to be the decision makers. For the Taipans, you're 100% right. Mm. I don't think they adapted anywhere near enough. I don't think they had the freedom and allowed players to play to their strengths enough. In my opinion, I think Cameron Glidden could be one of the elite Australian guards in this competition. Great decision maker, an elite shooter. Very rarely makes poor decisions in any kind of format in the game. On balls, transition, um, these types of situations. Yet you look at the fourth quarter in that game against the Wildcats when it's a duel. He's sitting on the bench. Yeah, I know. Hardly even got on the floor. And mm-hmm. I don't understand why. I understand the coaching staff went with who they thought could win them that game. But 69 points game one, 66 on the road mm-hmm. against teams who know how to score in this league. Two of the top teams, first and second, a high-octane offensive teams, and now have a look at the Wildcats have done over the last month. Mm. That's not going to win you too many championships. The Taipans have the athletes to play an up-tempo game. You look at Trice, lightning quick, Glidden can get out, fill the lanes. He can finish at the bucket. Mitchell as well. You've got Worthington and Loughton guys on the trail that a bit like a Jesse Wag stuff. You come in late, hit those trail three-pointers. They didn't use any of that throughout the season. and To their detriment, they drop now out of contention in 2016-17. The Hammer. Interesting news yesterday that was breaking that he has entered the three-on-three competition over in the US. Tell us a bit more. He gave me the insight on this uh, a while ago and told me to kind of keep it quiet until he was going to see what happened. He's he's now, his name's been nominated Mm. to go into a draft. That's the the Ice Cube uh, three-on-three championship league that Ice Cube's put together and owns with a number of the Hall of Fame players, Alan Iverson, etc., going through. So he'll go to a combine where they'll take a look at him and uh, he's working on his fitness and that means shooting the three ball uh, and a lot of them. He understands that the three-on-three format suits him perfectly because there's no running. There's very little defense. Uh, The benefit is there's also a four-point line, not only a three-point line. So he becomes an attractive commodity for players who have got someone who can get to the rim, can post up, four players per Mm -hmm. team. So he could come out there, stretch it for a few possessions, knock down some shots, particularly from the four-point line when you get fatigued. Uh, it could be right up his, his alley. There was some head-scratching decisions made around in the last week to do with a couple of players. Uh, one in the grand final, one fighting to get in there. I'm talking about Matt Knight and AJ Ogilvy. Talk us through it. I'm really bemused about the Matt Knight one. I'm very surprised in the way that he reacted in that situation. I don't know if there was history between him and Trice. Clearly, he he hit him in the face and smacked him in the face with the ball after grabbing the ball out of the bottom of the net. Got charged for unduly rough play. He went to the review panel. I think they gave him a week, but then they didn't agree with it. 
they thought it was too harsh. So it was my understanding they gave it, it was going to be two games, and they thought that that was too harsh. So it went to an independent panel. Yeah, the decision was made Wednesday night. And now they've given him a thousand dollar suspended sentence. And something else that's very interesting. Well, uh, he has to write a letter of apology. Is that right? It was like he's in primary school. So yeah. it's a fine plus a written apology to Travis okay. Trice saying he was sorry for doing that. Ogilvy, the tripping on Jacobson with two minutes left in game two. Crucial you... time of the game. I, I can't believe that Ogilvy made that snap decision to do that, to, to reach out and grab someone's leg. What happens if he twists his knee and does an ACL? Yeah. Uh, I know it's low impact, but uh, the official who's standing right there on the baseline saw it, called it as a standard foul. No unsportsmanlike intentional foul, two-shot possession and the ball. Momentum would have swung. Completely. It was a two-point game, one-possession game at that stage going down the floor. So, you know, and then there was a striking charge on Jacobson, which I haven't seen on Holyfield with about 19 seconds to go. Both of those two players only got a $500 penalty. If they plead guilty, it gets reduced to $375 and they're able to play game three. Okay, interesting times. Uh, Just reminding you that these are our thoughts and views and they're not of the National Basketball League. We just need to make sure that that's clear. Let's have a look at wrapping the NBL semi-final action. Game one, Adelaide hosting Illawarra and Illawarra getting the jump early. However, Adelaide run over the top as they've done throughout the season. 93 to 78, the final score. Guess who? Well, you don't need to guess. Jerome Randall leading the way, 26 points, five rebounds. Yeah, he was really impressive and they dominated Illawarra, particularly in the second half, that fourth quarter performance really put this game to bed. I like the way the big four played for the 36ers in this game. Randall, Sobey, Johnson and Creek all contributed double-digit points all around the six to eight rebound mark and you know contributed in passing the ball through this game. Conrad stood up five for eight from the three-point line, 26 points in 20 minutes on court. The one factor, and we had him on the show uh, two weeks ago, Shane Hill harped on how important Ogilvy's role is in this series, and he didn't really deliver. Seven points, three for ten from the field, three turnovers, four fouls. He needs to make a bigger impact through the course of this series for them to be competitive. The offense dried up for the Hawks, just finishing the game with a paltry 35.5% from the field. The free throw difference, crucial. Obviously getting down to crunch time, now, in that part of the season, Adelaide 24 of 32 from the line and Illawarra 11 of 15. And the big impact, as I mentioned earlier, with Ogilvy and the entire Hawks team. And this has been their downfall, their Achilles heel in the past. Hence, they brought in guys like, you know, Ogilvy and uh, Holyfield, etc. Some big bodies in here. The rebound count, mm. 56 to 40, 18 offensive yep. rebounds. They gave up. And there was a possession where Jacobson took a charge didn't get caught, jumped back up to his feet, sorry, it's Hodgson, yep. and then contested and blocked a shot. Just the sheer hustle plays mm. and those effort areas, they wanted that game, particularly game one in Adelaide, a lot more than in Lawarra, and they demonstrated it. Great point, Nick. Plus four on the O boards too. And that led to their transition game, which has been potent throughout the season. 17-2 to two fast break points. Game one goes the way of the regular season champions. Perth, a long road trip up to Cairns and stole game one, 91 to 69. And it's fair to say outclass Cairns in a number of ways to run out with that 22-point win. Cotton, 34 points, five assists, was superb. He was unbelievable. And, you know, I, I've said from day one when he stepped on the shores of Australia here, 
I, I love the way this guy's he plays. His decision making is elite. Um, the way that he can fill it up from the perimeter. He's got great poise with the ball. Um, he's just a clutch performer, I think. 34 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. But then Prather stepped up. Knight actually had a game that the team really, really needed. And Wagstaff started to find his form. If you have a look at that big four in this game, 81 of the 91 points came from Cotton, Prather, Knight and Wagstaff. That's 89% of their scoring out of that big four. And it was the ability to be able to share the ball through those four guys and make a big impact. And the Taipans, they had no answer for it. And this is where the Taipans broke down. You look at those two big guys in Wagstaff and Knight who can all stretch the floor. Well, they broke down in their on-ball coverages again in this game. On Cotton, they decided to kind of give him too much space where they were in like a flat show Mm -hmm. coverage. He was able to pick them apart, get his shot going in game one, and there was no answer for them. It was too late by the time he got momentum going in that first half. And the offense stuttered for the Taipans, and they looked a bit in awe of the big occasion, particularly Trice. I mean, he led the scoring with just 15 points, but he gave up some open looks and looked a little rattled in game one. Trice, he's searching. He's searching for an identity within this team. And it's a shame because he's got talent, but yet he kind of looks like he's being held back on the leash. You know, it was only him and Wertho in double figures in this game. Glidden was quiet, didn't get enough reps up. You know, Weeks came in and tried to give him a little bit of a spark off the bench, but it was too little too late. 31 points in that first quarter gave Perth momentum. Perth doing what they have excelled at throughout a number of years, and that's forcing turnovers. Cairns, 11 assists, 15 turnovers, so minus four there. And the Wildcats only gave up three second-chance points to the Taipans, and that has been a problem for them throughout the regular season, the Perth Wildcats. It looks as though it's been rectified in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they, they continue to be able to make strides and impact the game on the glass, which is something that Perth have been renowned for, and now tidying up a few other little areas, and particularly with what they've done with their offense, has now given them the confidence to feel really good about how they're playing. Illawarra were trying to save their season and did so in Game 2. A six-point win, some would say lucky, on their home floor. Norton, 17 points. And Conrad, what a series he's having. A double-double in Game 2. 17 points and 10 rebounds. The bench scoring, crucial for the Hawks, and they take it now to a deciding Game 3. Yeah, 50 points off the bench for the Hawks, as you just mentioned, their bench scoring. That was led by Conrad Martin was also big in this one, 10 points, 4 assists, 3 rebounds in only 13 minutes. But Matt, the thing that stood out for me was the Hawks showed some real resilience and a real purpose in Game 2. The X factor in this series is Timmy Conrad, averaging 21.5 points, 7 rebounds, shooting it at 64%. He's 9 for 14 from the land of plenty in only 21 minutes a game. Game three coming around, this guy has to start, in my opinion, Mm. and he has to play big minutes, and you've got to utilize him and keep going to that well while it's going. He has got this confidence about him. He's got this explosive offensive production in these first two games. It's a contract year for him. He's showing and playing with a real kind of desperation that the rest of the team need to follow suit if they're going to have any chance of beating Adelaide in game three. This series seems to be going the way of better rebounding team securing a win but getting those transition points because Illawarra did a poor job of that as I mentioned earlier in game one they flipped the script and they lead that category in this game fast break scoring 19 to 12 was crucial let me tell you my opinion on why that was and this is a great coaching job from Rob Beveridge so you talked about those transition points being taken away for Adelaide well the Hawks 
have had success four of the six games. And without a doubt, I looked at these games and this last game, watched it a few times. Bevo changed up his defenses very effectively in this game. He started in a zone. Mm. They went on a 7-2 run. It takes the air out of the ball. It doesn't allow guy like Jerome Randall, who is the best one-on-one player in the competition, mm-hmm. to be able to work out of on-balls, step-up screens, drag screens. They now have to move the ball. He doesn't get to dominate it as much as possible. If it doesn't touch the high post or get anywhere with any penetration, it's other guys that are making decisions in this. So I give Bevo a big tick in this one. And he understands that Game 3 is going to be about... There's not a lot separating these two teams now that they're split. It's In my opinion, it's going to come down to some individual performances and who can make some big plays in big moments. Finals and playoffs are about clutch performers. Mm. Adelaide's clutch performer is Randall. They need to get the ball out of his hands as much as possible. He was frustrated in Game 2, went 8 for 23, mm. and he had to take some tough shots down the stretch, and they played him physical to start the game. All right, Game 3 is tonight in Adelaide and the winner to play the Wildcats who booked their 13th grand final appearance with an eight-point win in Game 2 here in Perth on Monday night. Prather, 24 points, 10 rebounds. Jesse Wagstaff, 20 points. His three-point jump shot has been non-existent throughout 2016-17, apart from Monday night. He was red hot. Five for 11 from the three-point line. 20 points, as you said, five rebounds. Knight, 12 and 2, didn't rebound well, but, you know, stretched it when he needed to, hit shots, especially in the first half when he got the open opportunity. And the guy that sets all this up for him, even if you look at the stat sheet and you realize that Cotton only had nine points, Mm -hmm. five rebounds and four assists, he was the guy who was instrumental in getting Wagstaff and Knight looks out of this. And this is what I've talked about previously, the poise, the patience, the understanding, knowing that his time and his opportunity would come. He reads coverages as good as anyone I've ever seen. And this is what the Taipans did. They made an adjustment to their on-board pick-and-roll coverage. They trapped Cotton every time he came off it. They tried to get the ball out of his hands and challenged the Wildcats to see who else would step up and make shots in this game. And they, to the credit of the Wildcats, Wagstaff and Knight were able to do it. Perfect point. And what I love about Cotton's game style is his hockey assists. Yeah, because he starts it because they're in a panic. He gets to areas on the floor that create that havoc. Kick, kick, bucket. If they run the flex offense, they don't get those opportunities. No. See how spacing works and having guys like Prather and Cotton coming out of wing, middle on ball pick and rolls, wing on ball pick and rolls, starting off a staggered action down low, coming off turnouts and screens, lifting. So now all of a sudden, and they're playing a lot more small ball in this area of the floor, and it suits how they play. As long as they can continue to rebound, they will be effective from here on in and have a great opportunity to win an eighth championship. Well, regardless of who they play in the NBL Grand Final, best of five series, do you favour the Wildcats? Well, I do because the fact that, look at the big four. Game one, 89% of their points total came out of that well-spread in scoring. Game two, 88%. 65 of their 74 points came out of Prather, Wagstaff, Knight and Cotton. Mm. They're feeling great about themselves. Their offense is working really well, and we know what they're capable of doing defensively because of Damian Martin. I was about to say, we hadn't even mentioned his name yet. And then uh, you throw in champion of the NBL, Sean Reddidge. I'm sure he's going to have a big part in the NBL Grand Finals in those crucial games too. Well, he's a big-time player. He's a big-time shot maker. He fits into this new style of play that they're kind of adapted to. 
And if you have a look at either team advancing against the Wildcats, if it's Illawarra, the job that he can do on a on uh, Rodney Clark, and we know what he's capable of doing on someone like Randall. Nick, let's preview Game 3, the cutthroat game in Adelaide this evening. The winner to face the Perth Wildcats. Some of the key parts in this win for me, Sobey needs to lift. Nine points in just 20 minutes in Game 2. He needs to lift. Randall needs to be more efficient. His 20 points came on 23 field goal attempts, which you wisely stated before. What's your take on what Adelaide need to do? Yeah, I agree with you with Sobey. And I think last week we talked about, I thought he looked a little fatigued Mm. when we talked about in last week's show. And there was some concerns to me why he was sitting so much in that third quarter. He came out in the fourth, the first possession, he iced a nice long jumper, got to the hoop and made made himself look like he was fresh. He was sitting on the bike, pedaling. Mm. I'm not sure if he's carrying something, but like I said, I thought he was starting to look a little fatigued at the rigors of this season. He only played 19 minutes. He's a big-time performer, so there's got to be a reason behind that right now. He only took eight shots in the game. He Mm. was four for eight from the field. He's capable, and I know in going back home, he's going to have more energy, more enthusiasm to be able to play, and the guy who is a beneficiary of him playing well is Randall. Mm. All of a sudden, there's less pressure on him. The other guy, in my opinion, is Creek. He wasn't anywhere near his best of what they need for him to be in Game 2 when they lost to Illawarra over there. He has to do a job. Physically, he's got to be a presence. He's got to intimidate. He's got to throw his body around, and he's got to finish plays. And in my opinion, he's the other X factor. Johnson's continuing to play well. Randall's going to give you the numbers. But this and playoffs is about having X factors. The Wildcats, Wagstaff, Knight stepped up. Illawarra, Conrad. Mm. Adelaide, Game 2, they no weren't one. there. Yep. Let's look at the Hawks. Ogilvy's averaging just nine points. He's six of 23 combined over two games. Clark's averaging 12.5 points per game, down on his numbers. If one or both of those men step up, along with Conrad's consistent performance across the series, can the Hawks steal Game 3? Absolutely they can. Yeah, they have the firepower. Bevo is, and I give him the credit, because he gives them belief, knowing that they can do it. Now, I agree with Shane. I have a question mark over Ogilvy's performance in big-time games and playoffs. Last year, remember, against the Wildcats, Prather, I think, shattered his soul when he dunked on him. Dunked on him, yeah. In that regard. Now, he's not shooting and finishing plays. I think Jacobson's done a tremendous job on him, getting inside his head, physically being big and strong and tall and blocking shots and changing shots. They have big bodies to throw at him in... Hodgson, Johnson, and Jacobson. So that's a factor right now. The Hawks need to do a job on the glass, and they need to do a job in finishing on the interior. They're getting it out of their guards. Mm. Norton was tremendous in game two. His ability to be able to penetrate and, and attack straight lines is a strength of his. And when he gets into a seam, he has the strength to be able to finish with their floor spacing, but to get other players involved... Now they need Ogilvy to step up and be able to put some pressure back on Adelaide. What about Rodney Clark? I think He's they the need X to factor. play. I think they need to play more through him. Yeah. I think they need to put him in spots where he could be like a Cotton, where they know they're going to have to change their coverage on him, especially out of on balls and the way that they do play in spacing the floor. He needs to get more touches mm. from looking at the games that he's been effective in and the aggressive nature of him coming in. Like he's critical for their success. And this is a team who's shooting the ball relatively well from the three-point line over the course of this series. 42% game one, 36% game two. 
So they're shooting it at 38, 39% from the three-point line. They need to get reps up. Yeah. And they've got bodies to be able to go and rebound. Conrad's shooting the ball exceptionally. Norton, Clark, Martin, these other perimeter players. And we haven't even talked about Ellis and the all-time best three-point shooter in the NBL. Oscar Foreman. The firepower is there. And that has to be the way they have to apply pressure, in my opinion, to Adelaide early. The team that has had more free throw attempts has won in this series. So it's a matter of who's getting to the, the line and capitalizing on that. I want to ask a question about experience. Adelaide, the youngest team on paper, they might have the advantage in that fearless attitude. They're going to have a parochial home crowd advantage, home court advantage, yep. tough place to play. However, can that have a negative effect on the players that they feel more under pressure to close a series on their home floor, not having much experience with it? Now, in saying this, DJ has had experience. He's played in NBL finals, as is yep. Mitch Creek. I think Tease was in that squad that lost to the Wildcats. Not many after that. Now, Randall's a big-time performer. He's played over in Europe and has yep. led his team to championship games. You look at the Illawarra Hawks, they've been there and done it throughout yep. their roster. What I'm trying to say is the Hawks are going to roll into town, nothing to lose, away from home. Well, there is something to lose. There's a grand final spot. Is the weight of expectation on Adelaide going to be too great on a young team? Yeah, r- really good question. And this is why Bevo is such a great coach. Yeah. He's already stated out there in the media and he's playing the underdog card yeah. and has thrown additional pressure onto that team saying they're the favourites, mm-hmm. they're the championship favourites, they finished with a minor premiership, they're going back home, they're supposed to win game three. So he's trying to utilise any advantage he possibly can. Do I think it's going to impact Adelaide when they're out there on the floor and playing and when guys have got the ball with the shot clock at 20 seconds and... No. Mm. Uh, I think Randall's a big performer. I think Johnson's comfortable with what he can do. I really like what Jacobson has brought to this series. Uh, Hodgson's been good. Uh, Sobey just needs to find another level. Mm. You know, if he's fit and healthy, they're as good as any team to win this thing going through. So I know they're young and they, sh- and they showed at times that they were, but they weren't far mm. off the mark in game two. In saying that, the lead changed numerous times mm. in that fourth quarter and they had an opportunity to finish some plays and they just weren't able to do it under the pressure and the bright lights in Illawarra. I think coming home to Adelaide with that support that they have in Adelaide should get them across the line. Should the 36ers win through to the grand final, can Joey continue, and he's done it throughout the season, to play the it's us versus the league mentality? Because I know there's a lot of ill feeling towards the Perth Wildcats organisation from neutral supporters because of the success that the Wildcats may have had. Can he keep playing that us versus the league card in the NBL Grand Final Series? There's no doubt he will keep playing it. Mm. That's Joey to a T. He wears his heart on his sleeve. That's what makes Joey great. Mm. And let's not beat around the bush. That's why he was coach of the year this year. Mm -hmm. And there were some times during the course of that game, I thought he coached exceptionally. Mm. You know, there was a time out there where he was pleading with his team when it was the hardest of tough times Mm. for them to be themselves, to stay true to what they've been doing all year. He's a very good coach, mm. and uh, he knows how to motivate his team. He knows how to find the best and get the best out of them. You can see they enjoy playing underneath him and his style of play and what he's created. He gives them freedom to make decisions. He puts them on the, on the floor and expects them to have success. He's a very demanding coach, but they happen to play Perth in the grand final, and they have home court advantage. Mm. I'm still backing Perth. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't see... 
with the way that Perth are playing right now, I'm confident Perth can steal a game early in Adelaide. I can't see Adelaide winning in Perth, mm. and I can see Perth winning two games in Perth. Okay. Um, so in my opinion, I will back the Wildcats now be standout favourites to win their eighth championship. You're backing the 36ers to get up tonight? I am. I think the momentum uh, of coming home and the confidence in knowing that they weren't far off it in that game and they dominated Illawarra game one uh, by 15 points. They only lost by you know six points in Illawarra where effectively, had they official made the right call in with two minutes left, it could have been a completely different outcome. I like the Hawks. Good. There is method to my madness. You said it earlier, they've won four of their six games this season. I think Clark and Ogilvy have to lift, and I think Oscar Foreman, you stole the, the thoughts right out of my head before, I think yep. he's going to hit some big bombs from the perimeter. It's just a matter if they can have that attacking mindset and get to the free-throw line and make teams pay. They've The Hawks and the 36ers have been the best in the league at getting to the foul line. It's the easiest way to score points. Good scorers do it, don't they? Yeah. Jordan did it throughout his career. You look at it, good players, Kobe Bryant, in historically get to the foul line. See, the key for me mm. to, to back up what you're thinking with Illawarra is, and you're right, is how well Adelaide execute against this zone. Mm-hmm. And that starts with how well they defend Illawarra first yep. so they can get out and transition and run yep. and make take full advantage of any cheapies to stop Illawarra getting back into a zone. Mm. And I guarantee Illawarra will throw extended periods of zone against them. They know that they've had success against Adelaide with it in game two in particular, which has kept them off the foul line, mm. which means they contained any kind of penetration. So that'll be a key mm. and how well that they can execute against yep. the zone. You put that more eloquently than I could ever have. <laughs> I like Illawarra by one or two possessions. Are you tipping a double-digit win for the 36ers on their home floor? Or is this going to be a statement win for them? Or did you see it a, a sort of a seesawing, bit of an arm wrestle-type ball game? I don't think it's going to be a high, free-flowing scoring type of game mm. I think it'll be done in runs yep. there'll be a chance there where Adelaide will have an opportunity to get up 6, 8, 10 mm. and then there's the opportunity for Illawarra to string some possessions together and get hot I really am enjoying the way Timmy Conrad's playing yep. to see the level of desperation in his eyes every time he catches it the way that he runs hard and finishes plays the way he's attacking the glass I mean if you're watching and they're reviewing and putting game film together Illawarra, and no doubt Bevo, he doesn't need to be told. There are some possessions there they need to highlight how Timmy's playing, and that should be inspiring the Hawks to try to come across here and do something pretty special. Well, that's a wrap of our NBL portion of the podcast. Let's turn our attention now to the Women's National Basketball League. The postseason begins this weekend. Now, the Perth Lynx dropped two crucial games and now finished third in the final wash-up, Sydney Uni were the regular season champions. That was determined last week. Dandenong up to second. An identical record with the Lynx at 15-9. and nine. And Townsville, they looked dead for all money just a couple Didn't of they? weeks ago and have gone on a tremendous run and now have a legitimate chance to defend their title. In fact, go for a three-peat. They finished in 14-10 and 10 losses there. Good for fourth. Let's have a look at the semi-final fixtures. Sydney Uni will take on Townsville best of three game one Saturday the 25th of Feb Sydney will host Townsville before it goes up to the far north of Queensland on Friday the 3rd of March should there need to be a decider game three will be Sunday the 5th of March in the harbour city of Sydney now Nick 
Yep. Here's some numbers for you. The season series, before we go into the matchups, sure. it is 3-1 to the advantage of the Sydney Uni Flames, but let's have a look at these margins. Their first encounter, 69-68 in favour of Sydney. Yep. Then Townsville returned fire, 85-83, just a two-point margin. Sydney then win by six in their third encounter, and Sydney take their last encounter by a point in that game. They had a crazy couple of offensive rebounds, I think, and some missed foul shots at the end of the game. So the average winning margin for each team in that season series, just three points. So a lot closer than one v four. Needless to say, some great matchups. We start with one of the league's best ever, Susie Bakovich, averaging 21 points, 10.5 boards and 3 assists. She's obviously going to be crucial for the fire. Oh, she's instrumental, and we saw the impact that she had over the course of the season, which has enabled them to surge up the ladder and make themselves a, a finals campaigner once again. So much of that responsibility, particularly in the offensive end, plays through her. Most of their action, she gets touches. They run a beautiful high-low action. Standish, her, Mia Murray, Cox as a point guard. Uh, this is an experienced veteran group, and they know how to play on the big stage, under the bright lights, in big games. Uh, she's as experienced as they come. But in saying that, I really enjoy watching the way the Sydney Uni mm-hmm. team plays. Lalani Mitchell. Uh, that point guard play and the ability for her to be able to push tempo, knock down shots, finish at the paint, get players involved, 15.6 assists and four rebounds per game. Yeah, tremendous. In my opinion, will be in the all-star five as a starting point guard, Whitcomb at the two spot. Yep. She's just an elite performer. You mix in with that Asia Taylor, 17 points per game, eight rebounds. Snell at the shooting guard, Hampson at the center. This is going to be a great matchup between two kind of contrasting styles and one I think you know it's going to go to three games and I think because of Sydney having the home court advantage we'll probably take the series I agree 100% with you and you look at the spread of assists in that team Asia Taylor three assists Snell four and a half Leilani Mitchell six they distribute the ball so well and like you said Leilani Mitchell just that X factor Asia Taylor since she's come in has been one of the best players in the WNBL I think that'll go to three as well and I like the Sydney Uni Flames to go through to the grand final. Let's have a look at our local team, the Perth Lynx. And shooting themselves in the foot, they drop to third. They have to go to Dandenong, who they only played over there just last Saturday. Game one, 25th of February in Dandenong. Now, the season series, Nick, is not good reading if you're a Perth Lynx fan. Talk us through the numbers. Well, they lost game one, Matt, by plus 20, by 20 points. And that was on the road in Dandenong. Game two, they lost by 21 points in a whitewash at home. They were able to recover. They won by 10 points. Mm. Encouraging signs. Unfortunately, they closed out the season in the last round of the season and had another 22-point loss to them. So their average losing margin against Dandenong is 21 points per game. The thing that jumps off the page here is that the Lynx are only averaging 70 points per game against Dandenong, yep. and Dandenong are averaging 86 points per game. This is a team that has a tremendous amount of confidence in a matchup figured out against the Perth Lynx. Speaking of matchups, some names to throw at you. Steph Cumming, six in the league in scoring, and Blitzarves, seventh as well, and can have an impact on the glass. Throw into that Natalie Novacell and Clydesdale at the point guard position, and this is going to be a bit of a headache for the Lynx. So much of the responsibility is on Sammy's shoulders on the offensive side of the floor. And I mean, there's no secret she leads the league in scoring and in steals, in three-point field goal makes, in total points, 
a lot more players need to step up. Yep. And we're talking about bench impact from Phillips, Butler, uh, Burton. Um, they have to be impactful in this game and have an opportunity to really make a difference because each team here goes seven, eight deep. As you mentioned with Danning on Clydesdale, coming Blitzarfs, Novacell, Malott, Scherf, Todd Hunter at the guard spot. Yep. You know, Levy, Whitkin, Ebenson, Mirovic, Hamblin to start. Then you've got Burton, Butler and Phillips. I think the bench right here, and I know Andy Stewart's game plan and style has been to wear teams down through their style of play and their pace, this organized chaos that he has on the offensive end of the floor. The thing about it, against this team, it hasn't worked. Yeah. He relies on teams making poor decisions, turnovers, you know, fading on shots, having no legs. That hasn't worked. They're scoring 86 points per game against the Lynx. So tempo, slowing the ball down, making Burton, Hamblin, Mirovic, these ladies inside more of a target. Mm. Controlling tempo on every singular possession right here is going to be really, really important. And finding a way to create extra possessions. Who for you could be the X factor in this series for the Perth Lynx? Is it someone like a Ruth Hamblin? She had a really good game against them Mm. in that win at home. 10 points and she was a great target I really think that she can apply some real pressure for them but also open up the perimeter because of that Mm. they're expected and they're going to rotate girls onto Sammy and deny her touches as much as possible and she'll work tirelessly to get the ball and create some opportunities in transition I think Tessa Levy is going to have to have a big series here as well to continue to be able to finish plays knock down shots when expected Edmondson She's going to have to knock down shots from the perimeter. But I'm really looking for Burton and Butler right here to step up. Butler's got experience, Mm -hmm. and she's played legitimately big-time basketball in college. And Nat Burton, for me right now as well, she could be a finisher in this game and create some possessions on the offensive glass. Yeah, for me, she needs to up her scoring if the Lynx are to win this series. Who do you like? (sighs) Man, this is... Is it fair to say, Nick, that these two teams, in my opinion at least are the most talented rosters on paper. They're the two deepest teams in the WNBL, despite finishing second and third. Sydney and Townsville, outstanding starting fives, as do Dandenong and Perth. But it just seems that both of these teams have a little bit more to offer on the bench. And Dandenong have the experience as well. You're right. They are as deep as they come. And if you look at the numbers alone on this statistically, Perth struggled to win on the road against Dandenong. They've won one game out of the four at home by 10. Um, they did something right. They need to go back and review what they did really, really excellent in mm. in that game. They need to be able to put pressure on them game one. If it goes to a third game, it's going to be very, very difficult for Perth to win this series. My heart says Perth. Yep. My head says Dandenong. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. But I've just got a hunch that the Lynx could steal game one here, over there and, and then close the, it out here. And here's the reason why. We're talking about the Lynx have the MVP, the competition. Mm. And she will be crowned the MVP. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. She is a unique talent and yeah. a unique skill set. And on the big stage, she has, and we've seen it through the course of this season, can bust open a game in a half and have 33 in a half of basketball. Yeah. And she knows that they haven't been able to have success against them. I'm expecting Sammy to have a big series here. Well, the New Zealand international player with 10 years in the WNBL and 200 games and counting... Superstar from the Perth Lynx, Tony Edmondson, joins us. A very good evening, Tony. Hi, guys. How are you? Really well. Back in Perth now. Two disappointing losses, it must be said, over the weekend. And the team, unfortunately, slips to third. What's been identified from the losses over the weekend? Um, it was probably...
probably just generally not not playing to our game plan. We didn't execute the offense with the um, the sort of speed that we normally do, and I think we just, particularly in the Danning on game, were very flat and um, and we paid for it. That seems to be the tale of what's happened in particular against Dandenong. Of the four games, three losses by an average of 21 points a game. Is there a sense of these guys have kind of figured out what's happening with the Lynx offense or is it just some poor execution, as you mentioned, in the way that the team's playing? I'd sort of look at probably our last two results. So we got them pretty well in first and then and because then, we've changed a lot probably from those earlier two games and then they got us, obviously, and they did defend us really well in the game last weekend. So I, I think we've got adjustments to make, but I think we can, can make them and I don't think 20 points is probably a fair reflection of how the two teams I guess. Looking at the defensive end of the floor, Steph Cumming and Blitzarves both in the top 10 for scoring. Cummings in 6th and Blitzarves in 7th. That will pose a headache in a three-game series. Yeah, I mean, they're very, very just balanced across the board. I mean, those two are their, their top scorers, but I think uh, Novacell's playing a lot better now and Mallet as well is pretty tough. You've got to you know, be wary of her on the outside. So, Where's the ace in the sleeve as far as the Perth links? Where do you think your club has the advantage heading into this series with Dandenong? I think in the game that we won, Roos had a really good game. I think they don't probably have someone with the size to match up against Roos. So if we can kind of, you know, get her the ball well, but still, you know, not go away from our up-tempo game plan, it's sort of how we can probably win the game, I guess. So controlling tempo is definitely going to be a key. Uh, pounding the inside and attacking them on the glass by putting their other bigs under pressure would also have to be a key. The concern is the two elite teams in the competition outside of Perth, with Sydney and Dandenong, have both convincingly had good wins against the Lynx. Is this pace that the Lynx play at come finals time going to have to slow down slightly to make Ruth Hamblin a, a bigger target? I don't think we really change the way we play. I think there definitely probably is going to be some time played in the half court and I think when we are in the half court we have to make Ruth the target but I think how we play is getting out and running and I think yep. you know we can't change that, that's who we are and I think more we have to go back to that more than you know try and change, change who we are as a team I guess. Well, that's certainly been the identity and the identity for success this season and the one player that jumps off page has been Sammy Whitcomb and her output this year. Some numbers for you. First in the league in scoring at 23 points per game. First in the league in steals at 2.8. First in the history to have made 91 three-point field goals made. And second in history in total points, only behind Penny Taylor by three points. Are we expecting to see a huge series for Sammy? I just think you've seen all season Sammy's consistent. I mean, we can rely on her to just do what what she does and that's just, those numbers are incredible. She makes everyone in our team's job easier and I know I know they will focus in on her but she'll still have an impact but I think it's yeah it's going to be a matter of everyone else sort of stepping up and helping her as well. Tony, we thank you for your time this evening. We wish you all the best game 1 Saturday the 25th of February in Dandenong and let's Hope the Lynx can get their first win on the road in that venue. And then back at home, Friday the 3rd of March here at the Bendat Basketball Centre. And we look forward to catching up with you there and hopefully wrapping up the series. Yeah, thanks very much. And we wish the Lynx all the best 
over in Dandenong on Saturday night. If you'd like to get down and support the Perth Lynx in what could be a do-or-die game on Friday night at the Bendat Basketball Centre, that is the 3rd of March, the tip-off there, 6.30pm. I'd imagine that the doors would open around half past five. Nick and myself will both be there. Get dressed in red, come down and support the Perth Lynx and get that game two across the line for them and hopefully allow them to advance to another grand final. Nick, thanks again for your efforts. Now, next week we'll be back on air as well as the podcast as the NBL finals get underway. We will know, obviously, who plays the Perth Wildcats and game one will actually be done and dusted. It is scheduled for Sunday. Whether it's here in Perth or on the road is a different matter. And we're going to get Shane Hill hopefully back on to dissect game one and further preview. We'll also know the first round of results for the WNBL semi-final series too so thanks again for your efforts and we look forward to doing it all again next week see you next time all right thanks for tuning in to this special podcast of nbl nation back on the airwaves next tuesday 7 p.m here on 98.5 sunshine fm on behalf of nick lakovich this is matt chechens look forward to catching you then